Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another MentorCore. Really excited to have you here today but not half as excited as I am to have Michelle Beistel, who's the Chief Ethics, Compliance, and Privacy Officer uh, for the Nature Conservancy, Nature Conservancy here with us today. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Dan. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, in a second, I'll, Michelle, I'll ask you for a little bit about your background, but uh, just to let everybody know, you know, Michelle, Michelle comes from the, uh, the, the ESG space and is going to tell us a little bit about what ESG is. And uh, and some context around it, but um, but this is one of those spaces. You know, as a security professional, this is one of those areas that I've really enjoyed watch happen because you know I guess I'm a I'm a little bit of a do good or I enjoy watching us do good things for the world, um, but seeing it become a key part of what what's happening in enterprise uh, has been really delightful uh, over the past few years. Uh, so, Michelle, why don't you start off with a little bit about yourself? What's your backstory? How'd you get to where you are? Great. I'm happy to share. Um, so I, pretty typical, went to university. I studied international relations because mostly I just wanted to travel the world. I discovered I didn't have a great capacity for languages, which really then starts to limit your career as an international relations professional. <laughs> Yeah. What are you going to do when you're graduating in the early 90s? The, you know, the economy is not great. You're going to go to law school because what else are you going to do with an IR degree at that moment? So I but before I decided to go to law school, I, I wanted to try it out. So I went to work at a very large firm in Washington, D.C. as a paralegal. And that is where I met my first and most impactful career mentor. And I'm going to talk more about her, but I'm going to set that stage. So here I am, like right out of college. I'm in this law firm. I'm trying to figure out, do I even want to be a lawyer? Because there were no lawyers in my family. I didn't know lawyers. I, I just knew what I had seen on TV kind of thing. Right. So I've, I'm there for a couple of years and I decide, you know what? I, I can do this. I can do what they're doing. And so I go to law school and I go at night and I continue to work the whole time. And um, I come out a litigator and I work for 10 years for a great law firm in DC doing corporate litigation. And I discover like what I really love is fact finding. You know, I love to like dig in, create that story, understand the facts. I love interviews. I really love depositions. <laughs> no one really does, but I really did. <laughs> and, and love doing the, you know, investigatory work. And um, my mentor, this wonderful woman, Charlotte Young, who is still out in our profession. She goes to work for one of our clients, Unisys Corporation. And um, we stay in touch and we continue to, you know, stay connected. And she's leaving Unisys and she calls me and she says, you should apply for an in-house position. And I was at that point in my career when I was like, you know, I've been thinking about it. I, I'm not sure I want to go down this partnership at, you know, area of the law. And I'd love to work more closely with just one organization, be part of their mission, their goals. And I applied for her job and I got it. And so I went to work at Unisys in 2008-ish, and uh, Unisys is an IT and information security company, walked in, had just great colleagues, really passionate about what they were doing. It was my first exposure to information security, and I found I, I loved it. You know, I was like so interested. Well, with that and, kind of investigative interest, 
and I come on over anytime. Yeah. And, and so I went to a, a, you know, a continuing legal education. It was a round table of all these general counsels sitting around talking about what keeps them up at night. And they all talked about privacy. So I went back to the organization. I'm like, who is our privacy officer and what are we doing? And the answer was we had a privacy officer. She put a great program in place. She was gone. And now the chief information security officer owned privacy. So I walked from my boss's office to her office, which was right next door. And two hours later, I walked out as privacy counsel for the organization. (laughs) And with that, you know, I asked questions and she spent two hours talking to me about it and just, you know, really clearly wanted some additional help. And so I went, started down the privacy path and that's, that was my first foray into like the compliance world outside of investigating wrongdoing and and things like that. So spent many years um, focusing on building a really strong privacy program for the organization and doing ethics investigations as things went along. So I walked out two hours later as her privacy counsel, and I started getting into privacy, continued to do fact-finding and ethics investigations. A couple of years passed by, and um, I'm asked to create a global compliance organization that would cover ethics, compliance, and privacy. So I helped help create that. I'm promoted to that chief role, and I spend the next four years at Unisys building um, and maturing our processes, and it was a blast. And then all of a sudden, my friend Charlotte calls and says, hey, I'm leaving the Nature Conservancy. You should apply for my job because that's where she had gone after Unisys. And I, I, along with 300 other very very interested people, um, applied for this role and I was lucky enough to get it. And the Nature Conservancy is a 501c3 nonprofit. We operate globally in over 70 countries. We have almost, at this point, we have about 4,500 employees. And that was really exciting for me. The Nature Conservancy was an organization I had known of for a very long time, even before I had met Charlotte, and was very passionate about nature and, and how I thrived in it and wanted to be a part of that. So it was really just like this dream position that came up and um and i feel really lucky to have gotten that role and a lot of it was you know just being in the right place at the right time and having the right experiences and having network having people network right yeah Yeah, absolutely um well i'm a huge fan of the nature conservancy i'm an absolute uh, absolute huge fan of the of the work that's done there and the topics that you guys cover um, but you know, it's interesting. Uh, before we get into into that, I have a question around um, the privacy piece because one of the, the privacy in the you know in the in the scope of things that we talk about in MentorCore is sort of like the rubber piece. Sometimes it lives in the infosec world, and yep. sometimes it lives in the compliance world. It sounded like there it was more in the compliance world, but interestingly, part of an IT company. Um, thoughts on how people can approach when they're when they when they're walking in, say we need to build a privacy program. We have both of these things. Um, thoughts on p- way, things people can think about when deciding how best to align that in their own organization, knowing there's no one single answer. I think that's exactly right. There's there's no one single piece. And um, as I, I often, when I talk about privacy, um, it is information security, like security within the privacy realm is such a key component, but it's it's not the only thing like that's I think the one thing is just to make sure people don't mistake that privacy equals security because it doesn't security is an aspect of what you need to have a strong privacy program 
But a lot of it is, you know, respecting the individual's rights when you're collecting their personal data, ensuring that you're only sharing that personal data where it's appropriate, that you're vetting your vendors, et cetera, that you have contract provisions. So as you can see, as I'm talking, that actually touches legal, it touches compliance, it touches the business, it touches finance, it touches information. I mean, like it touches a lot of parts of an organization usually. So that's why I think no matter where it sits, it's just have, make sure you have that recognition that a strong privacy program is going to need to partner with multiple functions across the organization. And I think it was really one of the, the great aspects for me in my career development was when I took on that role, I went from being a litigator and a, and a counseling attorney of the organization to being a counseling attorney on a topic that covered the entire organization. So yeah. I really had this breadth of view across the organization that I didn't have when I was just sort of like a contracts lawyer or a litigator. Um, and that's, I think, why privacy professionals, frankly, can often translate their experience into other parts of the organization in a way that that maybe people don't expect initially. And that's that's really fun to see when you're like, oh, nope, I actually know a lot about this piece and this piece because I've, I've partnered and you know, my motto and something that I've, I've just always strived for is don't be an add-on. If you are a compliance function, don't be an add-on. Be integrated into the work. So why, by that, what do I mean? Like um, in software development, for example, make sure that privacy considerations are embedded in the development of the software, that they're not an afterthought. Oh, while we're testing it, we're going to check privacy compliance because it's not going to work. And really, you know, it's a natural, I think, alliance for privacy and ethics and compliance, because ultimately at the heart of both is acting with integrity, acting with integrity in how you handle people's personal information, acting with integrity in your business dealings and how you operate as an organization and what you what you do. Um, and that that's that next piece, too, that is like that's such a hallmark of corporate social responsibility which ESG is one of those foundational elements of it. Absolutely. And you rarely see the same kind of pull, push and or tug of war between ethics and compliance and privacy as you really do see between security and privacy. Greater security often comes at the expense of privacy. Greater privacy often comes at the expense of better security or the potential, the opportunity for better security. Yeah. So there's, there is definitely this pull. I, I live in both of those worlds. I'm a CISO yeah. who owns privacy, um, but I also own compliance. So it's a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got, you've got it all. That I've is, got, I've got all the problems. And um, you know, I'm really lucky to have CISOs that were just, you know, truly some of my best friends in the organization. I think that's the key, like quickly realizing and recognizing that that partnership is, is you you have the ability if you if you do it right to um, enhance both pieces privacy and security yeah. and that that's only going to result in good for your customers for your partners for your organization and so I think that's that's the fun part wonderful well let's jump back to ESG then and you know an organization like the Nature Conservancy is all about you know your 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 <laughs> fundamental root cause and reason yeah. for existence is environmental and social. 
And so, you know, tell us, tell me a little bit about, you know, ESG and uh, ESG in your world, how it plays into an organization where it already is, um, you know, such a key part. It's so interesting because I, you know, when I, in my prior role in a for-profit, you know, publicly traded company, ESG was driven at that time in the early, you know, the 2000s by mostly by investors, by, you know, making sure our, our, our investors, our shareholders, you know, they, they were really starting to push the environmental E part, social, you know, social justice, more like the human rights, your labor, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the governance, which was great from an ethics and compliance perspective, right? So strong governance, strong policies and procedures. And that we saw um, in those early 2000s, a lot of investor organizations and, and activist shareholders really pushing for this, which was a, a great boon to the ethics and compliance profession because yeah. now we had people outside of the organization also wanting to see this, not just our, our board maybe. Um, as I think it's matured, we have seen that the impact when we don't respect the environment, when we don't respect human rights and social um, norms and fundamental rights that are that are expected across the world, and when we don't have sound governance, bad things happen and companies lose trust. And really, no matter what your organization is doing, trust, you will hear most organizations talk about how trust is so important. Trust in, in either if they're a direct-to-consumer organization, trust from their, their customers, their consumers. If they're serving businesses, trust that their business partners are going to want to work with them. For us as a nonprofit, trust is critical. Without the trust of our donors and our funders, and our donations and funding come from a variety of sources. There's individual donors um, like you and I. There's government funders. We, get, we work with governments around the world. There's organizational elements, foundations, um, all of those are, are areas where we receive our funds and they have very high expectations of how we're going to be good stewards of that money and how we're going to accomplish what we do. And our, our work is amazing and we have such great results. And please do check out our website for those great results. But the other piece is that it's really important that our donors care how we do it. You know, and that's that's where ESG is. It's really the how you do your business, that you're respecting the environment, your your own personal organizational impact on the environment, and also thinking about how your products or services impact the environment. And then from the social perspective, I mean, we we just see, and I know you had uh, someone on your podcast recently was talking about human trafficking and the toll on the world of of human rights abuses that are don't go away. And it's a, you know, a scourge on the society of our, of, and it's so damaging on all aspects. You know, how, how do we do better there? And that's really something that's, that's important. And then the governance piece is having those really strong you know, governance principles, um, having values, having a code of conduct, having policies and procedures that cover your financials, that cover your um, purchasing, you know, some of the, the basics that people sometimes forget. Like sometimes you gotta go back to those basics. Yeah, without question. And um, and just for everyone who's uh, watching the on your screen right now will appear the words nature.org 
That's the website. Go take a look. Um, if you're listening, uh, you can remember that when you get back to your computer, nature.org. It'll also be in the show notes down below. Um, excellent. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's on the what's on the top of your mind right now. What what are people in the ESG field, in the privacy field, what what are people thinking about? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think one of the one of the top of mind things is is ESG. I mean, you really can't. I think if you didn't know what that term meant before, you have probably figured it out in the past several years. Um, it gets talked about a lot. Um, now there are regulations that are being put into place for publicly traded companies that they talk about their ESG programs. This is happening around the world, not just in the U.S. So there's there's even more incentive for organizations to be paying attention to that, that aspect. One of the things I really um, appreciate about us as a, as a 501c3, first, we're nonpartisan. Um, we do not take political positions. Um, you know, our sole goal is to work on legislation, um, influencing legislation around the world that benefits nature and the people who enjoy nature, which is all of us. And, the other thing I really appreciate about our organization is we work with corporations and we have corporate engagements and corporate partnerships. And it's one way that ESG has helped us have a body of corporations that want to do work with us yeah. even more. And it, and I won't say, I will say that those, those entities, you know, there have been entities for a long time, well before your investors wanted it, you know, that just were doing the right things because it's the right thing to do. So I don't want to say like they're all just showing up, but I think they are more cognizant, which is really helpful um, in our world as well, because it takes everybody on this planet thinking about nature and thinking about their own impact and thinking about the, the way that they can influence impacts in their business, their everyday lives, in their friends, family, you know, all of it, just talking about climate change, talking about the impact to our environment of certain practices is is one of the best things that we can all do. Be versant in it and just keep people aware. The other thing that's on the top of my mind is that resiliency and culture. You know, having just gotten through parts of a pandemic, I would not say we're out, right? Because we look across the world, like we're still suffering as, as humankind is still suffering. And, but certainly during the pandemic, it became so clear to myself and other colleagues within this profession and the compliance profession, how important having a strong ethical culture of integrity was to how you were suffering through the pandemic. Were you resilient? Could you bounce back? Could you adapt? And I think in the news and just anecdotally in the folks I talked to, we saw that if you had a culture that had a strong ethical foundation that acted with integrity, those cultures were bouncing back. They were able to have the trust of their staff, their partners, their customers, and pivot more quickly and make those changes so that they could stay operating during, during the pandemic. For the cultures that didn't have that, they had distrust, that distrust was just amplified um, during the pandemic. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about because this is, you know, in my personal view, like this is, going to remain. The shift we all made and how we work, how we live, it's not going to go back. No. <laughs> um, it's going to remain. And so how, I think now more than ever, it's really important for those organizations to recognize that that, that investing in a, a culture of integrity 
will help them as they navigate what do their organizations look like in these next years as we are still continuing to face outbreaks of sickness or continuing to face social unrest and injustice, war, human rights violations. I mean, you name it, we are, there's a lot of stuff in this world right now, the climate change impacts that we're seeing across the world with fires and floods and catastrophes that are impacting, you know, humans and all of the other animals and organisms that rely on the earth, because we're all interconnected. And that biodiversity threat is, is real. So what are some examples of uh, how you can build that type of an ethical culture inside an organization? Yeah, I think one of the things that the pandemic drove home for me is don't forget the basics. So the basics in an, in an ethical culture, the building blocks of that are set clear expectations, you know, have a, have a values statement, have a code of conduct about how you expect people to behave, have those strong policies and procedures then train on them, make sure people know them, make sure they understand the expectations you're setting for um, behaving with high integrity and operating with high integrity. Mm -hmm. And have your, you know, we all hear tone from the top and tone from the top is really important. So you need your leaders talking about that culture of integrity. You need them talking about the expectations for how we're going to operate at the top, but don't forget your middle because what you hear, what we hear over and over is that the person's immediate manager is who they often pay the most attention to, who they report concerns to, and who influences whether they stay or not at an organization. So don't forget that tone in the middle. And then the last piece is hold people accountable. You can't go out there and say, here's what we expect and have your leaders talking about it. And then someone does something wrong on one part of the world and someone does the same thing on another and you don't do the same level of discipline. Yeah. Your accountability, people are watching. People know what happens. And if you are not holding people accountable, that is a very strong message that you are not truly invested in your culture of integrity. And accountability means at all levels and consistently. So ethical culture and resilient culture are, are great. And I think we all understand them and why they're important. But there's been a long, an increasing and, and, and I guess distressing trend societally that pulls people away from some of these topics. Um, you know, distrust or lack of focus, or this is not the most important thing we've got going on, or you, know, you name it, there's a hundred different reasons. So people in, the, in, in, the, in, in, in our roles often struggle with how to overcome that kind of societal drag that can either slow or stop progress on, on, on these kinds of topics. What advice do you have for people as they get to that point or how can they start to think about keeping themselves moving forward? Remember that you work for a business, no matter if it's a for-profit business or a non-for-profit business. These entities exist for a purpose and, and that purpose can be to make a great and fantastic widget that drives automation that does all these things right or you know to better the better the automation process um, that can be to create excellent information security and it products and services to help for create a more secure world it can be to you know um, make an impact on the environment through projects that are funded to combat climate change and promote biodiversity like there's in the end, there's always a purpose for the organization that you're with. 
remember that you're part of that purpose and make it make your your talking points your conversation your efforts tie it into your organization's goals you know we have a set of goals that we articulated uh, a couple years ago and every time my team talks about ethics and compliance and privacy we talk about how acting with integrity respecting privacy being compliant with our policies and procedures how that helps us to achieve our goals one of the really obvious ones is if you have a low trust low integrity environment a culture within your organization oftentimes you're going to have more employee relations challenges you're going to have more dysfunction in teams you're going to have more distrust churn the the side meetings that happen after the meeting you know those kinds of environments we've all probably been there in one way or the other the mm -hmm. drag on time and productivity is it's it's exponential and it is completely tied to that trust if you have trust you're gonna have high productivity if you if as soon as that trust starts to go down your productivity follows and your effectiveness and so that's that's really how i think about it is you know we are all striving towards that same goal for whatever whatever those are for your organization yeah the so what part of it you know we want to do this well okay that's fine so what so what does it do for our customers for our for our mission for our goals um right. so what absolutely that's, that's great question, by the way i asked that, that? Like, that's one of my favorite questions i'm always like so what <laughs> like so what you know, what's the answer to the so what question <laughs> exactly i'd like to invest 1.3 million dollars in a new security monitoring system okay so what exactly <laughs> i can't sell more if i what if, or so what or sort of i don't yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a it's a wonderful question. Um, good. The other thing that that I thought of as you were saying that was just this reminder that slow is okay. You know, things don't always move at a at a at a um, at a rocket pace, and slow measured forward progress isn't it isn't failure. It's it's yeah. Things take time. Yeah, I have a um. I had a wonderful, wonderful former colleague who liked to ask people, why do cars have brakes? And, you know, and, 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 and it's, but the first time he asked me, I was like, I, I don't know. And I was trying to think logically, like, and the answer is to go fast. Imagine if we didn't have brakes on cars, we would all be relying on inertia to stop a car, which, so you'd never get up and go to speed. If you think about your controls, and in, in, in your environment and your operating, um, you know, the policies, the procedures, you know, those controls are your brakes and they are there so you can go fast. Um, and I, I, I just still love that analogy. And I, I think it's always thought provoking when you ask people. So next time ask, ask them that and see what they say. And then I'll give you this moment um, because people often like to go fast. And so they'll be like, oh, that's a totally different perspective. <laughs> That's yeah, that is a question. That's a, a question that's often tied well into the information security world uh, and living in and around Detroit. The automakers love that discussion, too. <laughs> exactly. So it's multi it, it can apply to so many different environments. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Michelle, we're getting close to the end of our time. Uh, it went so fast. Um, I hope you'll come back again and we can continue this. The um, the last question we ask all of our guests is uh, to, you know, because mentoring is such a huge piece of what MentorCore is. Um, I'm interested in what the best advice you've ever received from a mentor is. <laughs> that's, it's, 
I, I knew you were going to ask because I've, I've watched the podcast. Um, <laughs> this is not a surprise. I'm so excited to share because as you could just hear through my telling, you know, I was, my life, I don't even know, it, it's hard to imagine where I would be had I not, you know, had the benefit of um, an excellent first mentor in my career and then many subsequent mentors that have been amazing in my life. And it's one of the things that I like to do in giving back because I've had just such a great experience. But the, the best two pieces of advice um, I got was um, be curious and listen actively. And the the way I, I think about that is really answering that, that so what question, but also in the listen actively part, it's the listen to learn. And I recently heard someone describe this as, you know, show up to get it right, not to be right. And so when we listen and we're really putting on that curiosity hat and you're listening actively to someone's perspective, to someone's position, I always walk away with a lot more knowledge than I ever had. And that's asking the questions. Um, part of that being curious is taking a risk, putting yourself out there. When I first started working in the IT and information security world, I asked a lot of questions. I would stop people and be like, I have no idea what that acronym means. Can you tell me? Like, and I, and yeah, that's a little embarrassing. It can be a little vulnerable, but it was always received so well. And, um, and that was a, a great thing for being curious. And then the second piece of advice I got was no one cares as much about your career as you do. So invest in yourself. Take that time. Have great mentors. It's not that, it's not that no one cares. People care, but they don't care as much as you. So make sure you are always uh, relying on yourself to move your career forward and reaching out for assistance, but don't rely on someone else to move your career forward. Yeah, I think that's, well, first of all, that's, that's like three minutes of some of the most well-loaded advice. <laughs> it's like the power pack of advice right there. Um, great insights, uh, but that what last one around career and you know some of what of what MentorCore, uh, the MentorCore community oftentimes struggle with is moving careers because we're so focused on the day-to-day, -day, the things that are important, protecting our organizations um, and doing the guardian roles. And we're, you know, people are naturally built to do the role, not necessarily to, um, to think about the growth, uh, but that realization that the organization will help, but ultimately your career is your responsibility, I think is one that, that oftentimes comes too late in people's careers, but once they realize it, um, the earlier we can get people to realize that, the better. I think that's phenomenal advice. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank sure. you, that's great. I'm so, thank you for asking. Thank you for letting me share today. Absolutely, really and thank you for being here. And thank you for being here, listeners. Um, really appreciate you as well. And we also appreciate your feedback. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedbacks, feedback or ideas for future shows, you can reach us at info at mentorcore.biz. Uh, if you want to see replays of any of our episodes, you can come to our website at mentorcore.biz. Um, podcast, the audio version is available on your favorite podcast application by searching for MentorCore. Uh, and video versions, uh, if you want to see us in all of our live, uh, you know, Technicolor glory, uh, as we do these episodes, you can find us on YouTube. Again, search for MentorCore. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again on the next MentorCore. 